This is IVP. This is The Disruptors, a podcast from InnerVarsity Press. Hosted by me, Esau McCauley. Taylor Schumann is a writer and activist, a survivor of gun violence, who is using her story to bring about lasting change, especially in helping Christians think about the ways they might be involved in reducing gun violence. I'm a New Testament professor. I'm not an interviewer. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, I'm not a podcast. There's that's no evidence. There's no. Po- you see how he's do- you see how he treats me, Taylor. I, I hear see, it. You I'm see with this? you. This is why the Beatles broke up. You know, like Ringo <laughs> wouldn't stay in his lane. Can I tell you something? This is true. I sat down and tried to listen to a Beatles song after season one because somebody mentioned them. Oh my gosh, I was listening to this episode yesterday. There we go. I tried to, after that episode, to sit down and listen to a Beatle. And I was just like, I don't get it. Wait, what did you listen to? I don't know. I just like Googled Beatles. Oh no. (laughs) And is Yellow Submarine a movie or an album? Oh my gosh. Wait, is it a movie? Anyways. Like, I don't get it. The monkeys are pretty good. Hey, 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 it's the monkeys. That's a nice song. Mm, I love that song. <laughs> I want to talk to Taylor because one of, it's one of these things, these taboo topics that we're told as Christians aren't a part of kind of the, the, the entree of things, of political meals we're allowed to eat from. And so gun violence is one of those things where once you talk about it, and she says this during the podcast, once you talk about it, people start to get concerned about you. And I think it's really interesting that the moment that a Christian begins to question our right to be able to shoot other people, there is this immediate question of whether or not we are losing our faith. And it was really interesting for me as someone who lived abroad, like living in Europe gives you real perspective on how different gun culture is in the United States than it is in the rest of the world. And so I wanted to have someone on the podcast who could help us think through those things and who wasn't just simply an ideologue who's just like, you know, who doesn't understand the other side. She talks about how she grew up in kind of a very gun culture and how her own experiences shaped the way that she views the world. And so I think she's she was a good guest because at least she understood that context. And she's a person who's disruptive. She talked about the, the price that it cost her to speak about gun activism in the church. And so I thought that that's an issue that I'm personally passionate about, but not super well informed. And so part of what I thought is that probably other people who listen to the Disruptors podcast, our profile probably reads a significant portion of our audience probably isn't pro, you know, we can run around with AK-47. So that's probably not um, normal for a disruptors listener So I thought it would be good to have someone there And she's someone who this is not just An abstract idea It is something that happened to her A lot of our guests These are things that happened to them Like I experienced racism People experience gender violence People experience discrimination it's Those experiences that are catalytic 
and moving people out into the world. And I think that's really great because she she goes beyond being a victim of gun violence to being someone who wants to bring about lasting change. And so for someone who hasn't experienced gun violence but who've been victims of various things, she's a testimony to how the worst things that happen to us don't have to break us. They can make us into something that is even stronger and more powerful for God. Who was Taylor Schumann before um, kind of the incident that seems to change your life and send you off in a certain direction? So I grew up in Southwest Virginia um, in a little town called Salem. Um, And I grew up uh, like in a Southern Baptist church. Um, My family, all believers. And yeah, I went to a small school and I did all the you know, all the right things that you're supposed to do. And I went to church and got good grades and had a lot of friends at church and that kind of stuff. So really just like a quiet middle-class upbringing. Were you one of those students and and kids for whom like it all seemed to work? I mean, there are different people who have spiritual backgrounds who are kind of going through like these motions of doing the good grades and you know going to church every Sunday but underneath there's like I don't know about this and some people are like yeah this is how I want to live my life would you say that like your spirituality and your faith and the school and the church all fit together when you were younger or were there kind of other issues that you were pushing to the side I don't think it did I had a really hard time at school and um like school didn't come naturally to me and because I was so um, wrapped up like in what I was doing at church all my friends were kind of there and I had a hard time making different friends at school and I I remember kind of like slacking off a bit at school because I like over spiritualized my academic work and I would just say oh well uh, you know, I went to church and I didn't study for this test, but God is going to honor my time at church. So I'll probably do good on the test anyway. And uh, that kind of stuff. So it wasn't until um, like right before my senior year of school, um, I left the church that I had grown up in. And that was kind of when I got super involved at school and made a lot of friends and just really went out with a bang um, that senior year. But before then, everything had been really kind of separate. And I was very much known as like, the church girl and like Taylor does church and that's kind of her thing. So you were saying um, Jesus, Jesus be um, a, a study guide. That's is that what yeah, you're Jesus be osmosis. I will just lay on this textbook and you know, it will be fine. And did you, and so your senior year, you get serious about um, school and then do you, did you decide to go to college? Where did you go? So I, <laughs> I actually went to Liberty university for my freshman oh. year. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Rip from the headlines. Rip from the headlines. Uh, very. I got so. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna leave that alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a terrible experience. I did not like it at all. Um, that's surprising. And so I ended up transferring to uh, Virginia Tech, and that's where I graduated. Uh, oh, from college. What year did you graduate? I graduated in 2012. 2012. Wow, mm-hmm. you're making me feel old in the podcast. <laughs> So you graduate in 2012 and then you start working. Yeah, I actually got a job um, working as a social worker. I worked in crisis assistance um, for the city of Roanoke um, in Virginia. Um, And I did that for 
um, almost a year. And then I took a job at a community college uh, nearby. Um, and that's where uh, the shooting actually happened. So, but before that, you were doing crisis assistance. So you were mm-hmm. already in this place where you were trying to put your faith in. I mean, did your faith influence that kind of career choice? Or was it a job that you got? I mean, help me understand that part of it. Were you kind of shifting towards how do I make my Christian life um, applicable to the actual experiences of people every day? Yeah. And, you know, I, I knew I always wanted to work with people and um, doing something where I could just really like actively be in sort of a helping position. Um, I'm an Enneagram too. So this seemed to fit quite well with my personality at that time. Um, And also I realized I had grown up in this area um, kind of in a very secluded way, like in this small town. And I didn't really know what was happening like with my neighbors in the larger community. And um, there's all this poverty and all this suffering and this inequality that I had not been exposed to very much growing up. And so taking a job with the city um, really opened my eyes to um, like what, what I just didn't realize was existing because I didn't have to be exposed to it. Um, and I know a lot of people in my life thought it would be like too hard for me and I would internalize it and I, you know, wouldn't be able to leave it at work. And that definitely was true for me. Um, there were a lot of days I just didn't want to leave because I didn't know what was happening with my clients. And I didn't know if they were going to have heat overnight or if they were going to be able to pay their electric bill the next day. Um, but for me, that wasn't so much a liability as it was that it meant I was like really doing the work and really invested um, in that job. That's really interesting. Um, the way that you said that, because there is this sense in which, and I don't want to criticize the people who said this to you because I don't know them. But there's a sense in which we can we want to say, well, if you get too involved in the day to day sufferings of people, then it's not sustainable that it's going to kind of break you down. One of the things that we're exploring in season two of the disruptors is, is the disruption sustainable? Like once you come into something and it's one thing to recognize that, hey, there's a problem. You know, we need to do something about gun violence. We need to do something about poverty. How do you go beyond kind of raising the flag to actually thinking day to day about what it means. And one of the things the Christians say is that, well, since you can't fix the problem, since it's, since it's not sustainable, it's going to do you damage. And it seems like the spiritual advice then is to say, well, okay, then the people have to suffer while the Christians protect their spiritual and emotional health to get mm-hmm. to the kingdom of God at the end, which seems to be the opposite of what Jesus did, which is kind of this incarnation who's coming into the midst of the trauma. So mm-hmm. I want to, so you, at this point, have you ever considered like gun violence or victim advocacy? Is this something that's on your radar or is this no. all the result of what happens to you? Yeah, I, you know, I grew up in a town where, you know, there's a lot of hunters, a lot of gun owners. It's very conservative. And even the people that don't own guns are like very still into guns and gun culture because that's just kind of ingrained um, in that area. And so I had never considered that, you know, guns could be the problem. Um, You know, guns don't kill people, people kill people, that kind of thing. Um, But when I was working um, for social services that December was when the shooting at Sandy Hook happened. 
I remember that was kind of the first moment I just thought, what are we doing? Like, how did this happen? And why are we letting this persist? But then I kind of just tucked it away. Um, and it wasn't till after what happened to me um, and kind of the transformation I went through after that, that I really got involved in that space. Can you tell me about um, as much as you feel comfortable, like how being involved in a shooting changes changed you personally and then how it made you into the person that you became as it relates to gun violence and gun reform? So after the shooting took place, um, you know, I lost the majority use of my hand. Um, I have about 20% use of my hand left. Um, I kind of had this instant disability. Um, I started dealing with chronic pain, a lot of things that I had never had to deal with before. And this like intense trauma and grief. And I had had a pretty like comfortable life before that point and just never had to confront these types of um, issues in myself. And so the first thing I found was that it made me, um, I was already an extremely empathetic person, but this kind of took it to a new level. And I started seeing um, a lot of pain and suffering around me and people. And it made me, I think, a better friend to my friends who were going through really hard things. And it made me a better um, like advocate for those people. Um, but ultimately, it kind of led me down this path of seeing this suffering that we were ignoring. Um, after yeah. what happened to me happened, the gun part was largely ignored and everyone kind of wanted to focus on the other things that we tend to blame gun violence on, mental health and all yeah. those things. And and there was some of that there, but my story was very different um, and the person that, that did it to me. And um, he didn't die during the shooting. He wasn't killed. Um, he didn't um, take his own life. So we had to go through the whole court process. And that, again, was another thing I had never dealt with before. And just seeing what victims have to go through um, in our criminal justice system and how all of that works was obviously very new to me. And I was still very young. I was only, um, I guess I was uh, 23 when this happened. Um, and I just didn't know how all this stuff worked. What What role did your faith play in this? Was it? Did it challenge your faith? Did it grow your faith? Like, how did how did you deal with this spiritually? It definitely grew my faith, and it's one thing where I look back on that time, and I never felt so close to God as I did during that time. And I think it sounds strange to people who haven't experienced that to say sometimes like I miss that, um, just how close I felt to God and how. Um, like not forced it felt. I felt like I didn't have to have all the right answers. I didn't have to pray the right things. I just felt God's presence with me. Um, and in like these deep, dark moments, um, just his comfort and his goodness with me. And there were certainly times I was like very angry about what happened to me. And I think that was when I truly understood how honest I could be with God and that um, my questions for him and my anger wasn't deterring him, but he was drawing closer to me in those moments. 
and that was really important for my my faith to develop and i think that has largely made me who i am now especially my faith to say we can be honest with god and um, he's not afraid of this and he's sitting with me in it um i don't ever remember really asking why me why did you let this happen but it was more of a well i survived what am i supposed to do now like why did this happen to me like what do i do with it um and god was very gracious with me in a lot of those moments of of doubt and wondering and and my anger and and bitterness and and all those things that shows something about you as a person because not everyone who survives says, God, what do you want me to do with this? I know that for me, so I'm I'm a little bit older than you, maybe significantly older. But <laughs> I'm just now at the place where I'm consistently in the last couple of years kind of writing about racism and systemic injustice and the things that happened to me as a kid. I mean, I would in the in the book that I that I wrote Reading While Black, there's a story in I think one of the chapters. Um, about the first time I was called the N-word that my mom didn't even know about until she read the book. And so you seem to have been like make a pretty quick transition from um, someone who experienced gun violence to someone who then becomes an advocate. How were you able to make that transition and to go beyond saying, I'm grateful to God that I survived, but part of my vocation now is bringing awareness to this issue. How did you become a disruptor? <laughs> I mean, the most like basic answer is that gun violence just kept happening and I just kept seeing it around me. And, you know, initially after it happened, I wasn't like anti-gun. I didn't make that switch. Um, I became very uncomfortable with guns and, but it was mostly like an internally processing thing. Like, um, my family is still very pro-gun and like it was instantly kind of a thing where my family was saying, oh, guns aren't the problem. And then there was another girl that was shot and her family was saying, no, guns are the problem. And I felt very caught in the middle. And I remember getting interview requests from like local news and even some bigger news outlets. And they would ask for an interview and I would say, okay, well, I'm not ready to talk about guns, but I can, you know, talk about what happened to me. And then I'd never hear from them again. It all felt like I just, I had to choose and I wasn't ready to do that. And I didn't want to be used for anything that I wasn't like ready to dive into yet. And it wasn't until um, 2016 when the Pulse nightclub shooting happened. And uh, I woke up that morning, it was a Sunday and saw the news um and it was just so awful and so horrible and we were getting ready for church and I kind of didn't even want to go um because those days are just really hard for me and we decided to go anyway and I just thought as we drove to church they have to say something about this shooting at church like we have to talk about this we have to pray for these people um you know they'll definitely say something And then I sat through church and nothing was said and nothing was said. And it was towards the end. I just realized like, we're not going to talk about this because we don't talk about this. And I had never had that feeling before, like in a Christian space. I just never expected it to be brought up like the issues of guns, especially like where I grew up. It just wasn't a thing. 
Um, but that day, for some reason, I did. And looking back, I think it was maybe me giving kind of a like one last chance to see like if if we could get it right in church. And we didn't. And I didn't see a lot of people talking about it. And that's kind of when I just said, this is this is not right. Hey everybody, Richard here, producer of The Disruptors. InterVarsity Press wanted me to let you know that you can go to ivpress.com slash disruptors with an E to learn more about IVP books and get 30% off all titles with free shipping. And now let's go back to the conversation. And that day I went home and I think I wrote some posts online about gun violence and um, I had like sort of publicly like repented for my inaction and my silence on the issue and that's kind of what uh, like launched me into this work. The story that you're telling is the story of so many ethnic minorities in different mm. ways who've come into church hoping that the pastor cares. Yeah. And it's always the second trauma. It's the first trauma of the event itself. And then you come to a community of faith saying maybe the pastor whose job it is to provide spiritual care will provide spiritual care on this significant portion of my life. But there are these mm. certain things in certain sections of the certain aspects of the church that are off limits. Mm -hmm. And we know, like we know that they're off limits, but we're hoping that the pastor kind of breaks through for the sake of our own spiritual and emotional well-being. And part of what it means, at least to me, to become a disruptor is when you say, okay, like now I've given everyone the opportunity. I'm going to have to step into this place that um, no one else steps into. And so the mm -hmm. question is, how did people respond to those declarations? Because one of the things that I noticed is that I was very, very acceptable as long as I was lauding the scriptures and I was doing these things as an African-American until I brought like racism and injustice into the conversation, then all of a yeah. sudden I received these questions and these emails and these private messages. So how, how were you received when you first stepped forward and started talking about these things? Oh yeah. Not, not great. Um, I had never really been involved with like more like progressive or liberal circles before, but that's kind of how I found my home in those spaces. Um, because I had written a lot up until that point about gun violence, but as it pertains to just evil in the world and, uh, you know, it's just a result of evil and it's a heart issue and et cetera, et cetera. And those posts have been shared a lot, always got like really good comments and support from people I knew. And then as soon as I started talking about well, guys, maybe guns are part of the problem. Um, it made people really mad. And I started getting um, like a lot of concern from people around me who were really worried about the path I was on. There's uh, a lot concern of concern about faith. worry. There's a lot of concerns about worries and paths. There, yes. <laughs> that's, that's the, and then I've noticed yes. that's when that's when the familial <laughs> language, the family language comes in. Sister, uh, yeah. I'm just, I just want to be like sister or maybe they'll use your, your, your first name, sister, Taylor. I just want yeah. to know. So it's really interesting that like, have you thought more about why there's this link between 
conservative Christianity and guns? Because, I mean, this is going to sound, I'm going to sound like, you know, a pundit or something. But it seems pretty straightforward to say that, like, Jesus wasn't super into violence. And so it seems like this this strong link between um, gun protection and Christian faith seems, at least intuitively, seems strange. Have you thought about this at all in your journey? Oh, yeah. Um, It's funny because it's one of those things. It's like once you notice it, it's all you can think about. And you can't believe you ever thought differently. Um, And I mean, the history is is vast, but I think a lot of it kind of goes back to like the moral majority and the Christian right um, and how um, conservative Christianity kind of took over its role in politics and became the Second Amendment advocates. Um, And now it just seems so antithetical to what the church should be advocating for. But when my husband and I started attending a Methodist church a few years back when we lived in Tennessee, um, I remember sitting there and I was looking through the bulletin and there was something in the bulletin about how they were showing um, a documentary about gun violence. And I remember I just started like crying in my seat because I had never seen gun violence addressed in church. Nonetheless, a documentary about how like gun violence affects the community and all that. And and I just realized, oh, okay, some churches are doing this work and I need to find my place um, in those places. Um, but the the connection between guns and and the conservative kind of American evangelical faith is still so baffling to me. Um, but it it's deep. And I think I didn't realize how um, that kind of American nationalism was driving that until the last couple of years. And I think a lot of people are talking about that now. And I just did not anticipate that those strong roots that it has, um, that gun guns and gun culture have like in um, American Christianity. If I, I know you're not, you may or may not be a Harry Potter person. I've read a whole Harry Potter book. Okay, so I'm I'm up on the cutting edge of culture. And I've I, only read the first one. Okay, we're in the same place. I know there's magic in it. Okay, so yeah. if I have no, and forgive me, Harry Potter fans, so there's no spell in Harry Potter that does this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you had like a magic Harry Potter wand, and you could say, I want the entire church to know these things about gun violence that we seem to be kind of unaware of what would it be like what piece of what data would you like stream to the whole Christian church for us to reflect upon and think about I think number one would just be the deep and long-lasting effects that gun violence has on people it's not just one event in a person's life it impacts the rest of their life and um, like I was saying before, I mean, gun violence is happening every day. Every day, 100 people are killed by gun violence and hundreds more are injured. And every time a shooting makes its way into the news, people who have experienced gun violence are constantly re-traumatized. Um, and our pain is not even acknowledged by church. Um, and when it is, it is oh, wow, that's so sad. What happened to you? We're so sorry you've been through that. But 
unfortunately, that's just a consequence of the rights we have in this country. This idea that this is just the cost of doing business, is that is that hurtful for you? The first time someone said that to me, um, I was so shocked by those words and just the lack of care, the lack of empathy. Um, to me, hearing that is worse than just someone not acknowledging it all. Just to say, oh, well, we see how awful this is, but uh, we can't do anything about it because this is um, our constitutional right. We just, we get to have guns. And um, so unfortunately, this is just gonna, gonna keep happening. Um, that is like one of the most hurtful things that is said. The biggest thing is just how unseen uh, victims of gun violence feel by the church. Taylor, this is um, Richard, the producer. I have a, a question for you. It sounds like you're, a lot of what you dealt with, especially early on, is, is this feeling of like being alone in this mm-hmm. within the church. And that's striking to me because I think all of us experience that in different ways, I think. But what's striking to me about this is it, is it feels like uniquely lonely. Because I feel like there's a contingent of like African-American Christians who can kind of get together and talk. And there's even black churches that they can go to. And then there, in my part, like I experienced a period of divorce, right? So I, mm-hmm. I felt lonely, but I also had sort of like the implicit support of the church who acknowledged everyone knows divorce is bad, right? <laughs> um, and, and it feels like especially, so certainly like as a, as a, a survivor of this and, and also as a gun control advocate sort of on both of those in both of those ways for different reasons, it's, it would be hard to find someone who could really like get it and understand what you were dealing with. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with where I grew up and the people around me. And it was just not a thing to consider the gun. It was to look at everything else. Um, And even to just bring that up, like in a religious space, people weren't doing that because then it was going to veer into politics. Um, And, you know, people don't want to do that in church, especially in conservative spaces. And I remember just like, I'd be up in the middle of the night and I would be like Googling shooting survivor support group, um, you know, Christian shooting survivors. And I just never could find anything. And I kind of was able to just sweep it under the rug. And, you know, I had a counselor, a wonderful Christian counselor, and she was super open to having these conversations with me. Um, And, you know, my husband was always really supportive and, and he really helped me kind of process those feelings and has always been on the same page with me about this stuff. Um, But then once I started speaking out about it, I realized just how lonely it was going to be. And even now, um, like working on my book um, and doing the work I do online, like I have friends that we don't talk about it with. I don't talk about it with my family and as much as they love me and like support me, they don't agree with what I have to say. And it's kind of what we were saying before, like people are always concerned about me and concerned about my heart and my faith and, um, what path I'm on and what I'm listening to. I think it's always instructive 
And one of the interesting things about this, and we've kind of left this mostly to the side, is how racialized gun violence is. Oh, yeah. In the sense yeah. of, like, I, we're here recording this right in the aftermath of what happens in Wisconsin, where there's a 17-year-old yeah. boy is walking down the middle of the street yep. with an AK-47. And so yep. there's a sense in which... Um, this isn't simply just like a gun issue. It's a racialized gun issue. Mm-hmm. And there's the problem of gun violence in African-American communities, which has its own sets of issues. And there's a the problem of gun violence against African-Americans. But the mm-hmm. interesting thing about this is how when you start talking about these things, your faith is questioned. How does your Christian faith inform your gun activism and views? So for me, the very basic or what it boils down to really is that if my life as a believer is to follow Jesus and to become more like him um, on this earth, then what does that look like for me? And for me, being more like Jesus is opposing things that are not in line with his vision for us as people on earth. And I cannot picture Jesus walking on the earth, carrying a AR-15 down the street, uh, protecting his personal property, being irresponsible with a weapon, um, and saying to someone who is suffering from gun violence that he's so sorry for what they've been through, but he's allowed to have a gun. Um, When I think about it like that, it's just so easy to see that nothing about guns, nothing about gun culture, nothing about even this idea of self-defense and self-preservation goes along with what Jesus tells us in scripture um, and what he wants for us, which is life and life abundant. Um, And not only that, but even for people who haven't been through gun violence, it's this idea that Jesus runs towards those who are suffering and uh, those who are hurting and in pain um, and if we are to be like Jesus, then we are to do that as well. And to say so, these other people who are suffering, they're more important than myself. Um, and I'm going to count them more important than, than myself and, and my safety and my rights. Um, and you know, we have this idea in America of like personal freedoms and personal liberties. And, you know, even when we read about freedom in scripture, we learn that, you know, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial to us. And we have freedom, but in our freedom, we're not supposed to sin and we're supposed to use it to serve one another and love our neighbors. And so those ideas are kind of the overarching ideas for me when I think about how my faith informs my opinions about um, gun violence and gun reform. So what do you then hope that people get from your book? Like if you say, if people read this and they and they completely and you don't want to give them the whole book, don't give them the content because we want you to people to buy it. It's coming out. When is it coming out? In July? In January? Next June, June twenty twenty. Oh, it's coming out. Oh, you guys got to wait till next summer. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, it'll be um, Gun Violence Awareness Month. It, oh, there um, we go. Gun, vi- gun so, violence. So yeah, awareness. so yeah, next June. So what do you hope that um, people get when they do get to the book? What do you What are you hoping comes out of it? Um, I want 
gun violence to be uh, more personal to them. I think for a lot of people, um, unfortunately, like any issues of justice related stuff, whether it's gun violence or racial inequality or what have you, um, it almost has to become personal before people are willing to take action on it. And um, so many people I talk to or that message me will say, I never knew anything about gun violence. I never knew anybody that had been affected by this before, but I started getting to know you and following you. um, And that helped change my mind. And that's when I realized like making these issues more personal can help, um, help people see why it's so important um, to get involved. And so I hope that when people read my story, they can see like this can happen to anyone and it's, it is, it's happening to your neighbors and it's happening to people in your communities, um, whether you see it or not. Um, and that we're not powerless to stop it. There are so many things that we can do, um, whether it's laws, which is kind of what we talk about most op- often or community-based programs, which we know work, especially in like large urban um, underserved areas, um, community-based programs that um, like intervention work that is working really well to reduce um, rates of gun violence. Um, I want people to not feel hopeless because I think when people feel hopeless, oh, there's nothing we can do. It will never change. Um, it kind of gives us permission to not try. Um, and that's not okay with me because a lot has been done um, in the gun reform world, um, especially since um, Sandy Hook happened and the organization Moms Demand Action, Every Town Reform, they've just really helped get a lot of work done. So it is happening and, and we can do things to change it. Um, and I, I want people to see that um, Christians have to take up their place in this fight for uh, gun reform. Um, Our presence is missed in these organizations and people are looking around wondering like where Christians are and where people that are supposed to like love and serve others and care about life and be uh, people with pro-life ethics where we are uh, when it comes to the issue of gun violence. Um, And we need to get involved. How do you sustain this work over the long haul because if you look at it you can say this is a significant portion of the church is going to call me you know everything but a child of God for caring about these things and who are going to mm-hmm. issue you know send send notes of concern so how do you sustain something you know like and I say this I'm someone who's saying like racism has to end <laughs> right and yeah. so that's not something <laughs> we're going to do by the weekend and so yeah. Gun violence seems like a a similar Goliath. So how do yeah. you how do you continue in this fight day after day, week after week, year after year, without becoming cynical, without giving up, without losing hope? Like what kinds of resources have you taken advantage of that allows you to do this repeatedly? How do you continue as a disruptor? Um, when I was writing my book, I came to like a point where it just felt so impossible and so like silly to even try to do this work. And that's kind of when I realized something has to change. And I wrote a note and taped it on my computer that just said, your book will not end gun violence. And that is not the point. And that helped me so much just to remember that this is not all on my shoulders. Like you said, it's not going to get solved overnight. The point of my work is to be faithful with 
what God has called me to do, um, to share my story, to teach people what I know, to try to get people involved. And if I feel all this pressure to do it all by myself and that I only have one chance or like this conversation will change uh, in gun violence forever, then um, that's like a burden I'm not meant to carry. And um, I cannot work under that. That's just like a pure fear. I did a similar thing when I was writing my book. This is the Anglican version of this. <laughs> I, I got an icon of, of St. John the Baptist. Yeah. Because St. John the Baptist was, his thing was, I am not the Messiah. There's someone mm. who's coming who is greater than me. And so I mm-hmm. bought the icon of St. John and I put it in my office to remind myself that I'm not Jesus. That it's not my mm-hmm. job to end systemic injustice. It's not my job to end racism. Yes. But what I can do, and I think this is what you talked about, what you're doing in your work, is point towards someone greater than myself while mm. saying, I'm just being witness as best as I can understand it to what he would have us be. Is that a fair representation? Yes, Acknowledging absolutely. our limitations? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because then that gives me freedom to say, oh, this was a bad day and I'm tired and I need to rest without feeling like my resting and my absence uh, will delay the progress um, or will be a detriment to the progress of the movement. Um, and then I can effectively rest. And, um, you know, I've made sure to have people in my life that I can go to and say, this is really hard and I'm really frustrated and I need a break. And can you encourage me? And am I doing the right thing? And that has been, that's been really helpful. And then um, kind of starting from a place where I'm meeting with God and then always returning to that place at the end of the day um, and being honest and saying, God, I'm doing my best with this. And I don't know if this matters and I don't know if this means anything, but I'm just trying to do what I think you're telling me to do and what I feel I'm called to do. And I'm just praying that God multiplies that work. Now, if there's one thing that you could say between now and buying your book that you want all Christians to do, like one practical step towards getting involved in with um, gun activism, is there something that you would direct them to a resource, like a, a first step? Look up how gun violence is affecting their local communities. There are a few websites you can do that on. You can search on uh, everytown.org or the uh, Brady United is really good. They have some good info sheets. Um, But just to find out how gun violence is affecting your local communities, um, I always tell people, I think it's on the Giffords website, you can look up how much gun violence is costing your state every year. I hate that money is like a yes motivator, but people like we you think you're not paying for the effects of gun violence, but you are. Like if you're a taxpayer in this country, your money is going towards uh, the effects of gun violence. And sometimes when people see that, again, I think gun violence is something where if you don't have to see it every day, you it's easy to push out of your mind and to forget about. But uh, that's harder to do when you are seeing how many people are um, shot, how many people die from gun violence in your own city or your own state, and see if there are organizations close to you that you could get involved with. And where can they find your work? Where can we find Taylor? Um, you can find me at taylorshuman.com. I'm on Twitter at Taylor S. Schumann. 
um, and I'm on Instagram at Taylor Schumann Writes. All those links are on my website. And then you can also subscribe to my newsletter. It's called Bullet Points. And wow. Um, every, <laughs> <laughs> um, every month. That resonates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, every month I send out um, a newsletter and we address like one area of gun violence and uh, do some education. And um, there's always action steps involved, something to do that month. Um, so I'd love to um, meet more people there. I'm making a commitment that I'm going to subscribe to Bullet Points and I want everyone who listens to this oh, podcast for doing so to do so. Thank you so much, Taylor. I always tell people, I know it's not easy to share um, something that was um, deeply traumatic in your own life. And I really do hope that this is something that we kind of put on the table as an important part of Christian discourse. And thank you for your witness and thank you for your story. Thank you so much. There is a certain list of things that Christians can care about. And if you go outside of that list of things you can care about, people start to question your faith and your spirituality. I want to burn that list to the ground on the podcast. I want to say that it's okay to say, I love Jesus, and because I love Jesus, I'm going to reduce gun violence. It's okay to be passionate about these things. We weren't there when they were creating the list. Like, I know there weren't any black people there when the list was So in so much as we are trying to expand the nature of the Christian conversation, then I think that she was a valuable guest and I would have her on again. We are literally in the wake of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Someone takes a gun and decides to go and defend the property that is not theirs. And because of that, people are killed. And I thought to myself, in what world do we have? I mean, I remember when I was in um, England and they said to us, the tanks are rolling into the city. This is 2016, 2017. They said, well, why is the military patrolling American neighborhoods? It's because everything in America is ratcheted up. If everybody has a gun, then you need a tank. Right. And so this escalating gun violence is creating this militarized culture, not just in the police, but in our communities. And we're saying, well, maybe there's another way of organizing our society because everybody loses as it relates to gun violence. I have been shot at and the people who shot at me did not have illegal access to a gun. Like, it's interesting. I didn't I didn't say this in the entire podcast. I was a victim of a drive by. Someone pulled up to my house and shot my house up with guns that I'm assuming were illegal, they shouldn't have had access to. And that changed my life. That's another podcast for another day. But that changed my life because I'm thinking like, I almost died because this fool here had a gun. The amount of times I found myself running out of parties growing up because someone shot the party up. It was guns everywhere. I can give up now and keep going. Settle down, not ever knowing. Won't let my history bury me. Cause I ain't doing this just for me. I just think there's a better way of organizing our society than weaponizing each other. Thank you for listening to The Disruptors. We will be grateful if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. You can follow me at Esau McCauley, and you can check out the best and most disruptive offerings from InterVarsity Press authors at IVPress.com.